Amen. Thank you, guys. If you have a Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter 14. And if you heard, we're here before we, as we were starting, and I said we're going to talk about sadness today. And you may be thinking, well, man, why? Why would you talk about that? Well, because it's in the Bible. And uh, we preach through the Bible at Grace Life. We love just to take an entire book of the Bible and just take it verse by verse, line by line. And that means that there's going to be some Sundays that you might think, Maybe today should have been a sick day for me. But I hope you don't think that because the reality is, and if you don't know this already, I hope you'll come to know this, that every word that is found in God's word is given to us with a huge purpose, a God-sized purpose. And we need every bit of that. It serves God's purposes in our lives. And oftentimes it's precisely because the hard things are in the Bible that it actually makes the Bible even more believable. Now, I'm at a place in my life, I don't need any help believing the Bible is believable, but I know that maybe there's some in this room that you're still kind of wrestling with that. Is it really trustworthy? Is it really credible? Should I really believe the Bible? And, And I think you need to pause for a moment and realize that because there are hard things in the Bible, actually gives it more believability, right, and credibility. Let me, let me explain what I'm trying to say. If, if you were trying to start a religion or, or start some kind of movement, you would want to make sure that all of the messaging was just on point, right, so that it just inspired people and encouraged people and drew people into your religion or to your cause or to your movement. If you were trying to start something, you would try to to collate together all of the talking points and all of the messages. And you probably wouldn't include the passage of Scripture that we're going to put here before us today in Matthew chapter 14. You probably wouldn't have included that. But the fact that Matthew doesn't skip over this dark place in the Scripture serves to make God's word seem even more credible than maybe you've ever thought of before. Today we're getting to the place in Matthew where he tells us about how the insane and wicked Herod the Tetrarch is going to have a man decapitated. That's a bleak thought this morning, but that's what happens. And that man, by the way, is John the Baptist. Jesus said of John the Baptist, who was his cousin and dear friend and partner in kingdom ministry, he's the greatest man that's ever lived. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said there's, there's never been a greater man born among women than John the Baptist. So think about this. Jesus said that this is the greatest man that has ever lived. And yet he gets his head cut off at a drunken party. Because King Herod's young stepdaughter slash niece dances in front of a group of men to bring them pleasure. According to Matthew, Jesus' best man gets killed at what amounts to a party on Epstein Island. You didn't see that one coming, did you? (laughs) And you know what? Jesus 
didn't lift a finger to help his friend. Nothing. Nothing happened. He didn't even try to keep it from happening. Now think about that. If people were just trying to write some stuff to get people to come over to their side, to form their religion, their belief system, why would you include this story? Why would you say to people, hey, you should follow Jesus. He's the guy that lets his best friend get his head cut off because that's what a stripper asked the wicked king to do. Why don't you follow him too? Right, that doesn't make any any sense. And not only did God not leave this story out of Matthew, he put it also in Mark and in Luke. He repeats it three times. Now something else that you probably wouldn't have included in your religious book if you were trying to hit all the highlights and convince everybody this is the way, you know, it's going to be great, everybody. You wouldn't have included the fact that Jesus' best man, John the Baptist, struggled with doubt, right? You wouldn't want to show weakness among the pillars of your religion or your faith if you were just trying to make something happen. But the Bible's clear that John is a person that struggled with doubt. Let me take you back to where we first met John the Baptist in our journey through Matthew. Maybe not where we first met him, but the last time we saw him. Matthew chapter 11. Let's go there. Matthew says that when Jesus, verse 1, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. And now when John heard in prison, John the Baptist has already been thrown in prison, he heard what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples, and he asked Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Can you hear that, that doubt in John's Question, are you the one, or, or did I miss this? Am I mistaken, or are, are you a fraud? Are you a phony? Is there somebody else? You know, I'm, I'm thankful that God led Matthew to put that in there, because maybe you're not supposed to say this as a preacher, but sometimes doubt creeps into my mind, too. And I bet, I bet from time to time it creeps into your mind to differing degrees. So John's been ministering now as a prophet faithfully for probably three or four years. And that's a big deal. It's a big deal in that period of time because God's people there in Israel haven't heard from a prophet in about 400 years. They, they've been looking for one. God's been silent that whole time. So John's captured their attention and he's become really famous and well-known. And people are flocking out into the wilderness to hear his sermons and to repent, and to be baptized. But now in Matthew chapter 11, John's been sent to prison. And here's the backstory of what happened. I don't know if you know this, but prophets, they don't really preach like a lot of our modern day preachers. Prophets aren't really known for their fluffy, flowery, sweet and sugary kind of talking. Um, and that's true with John the Baptist. Um, he he was a lot more like a, a machine gun. I mean, it, it was aggressive, and it was very forward. And Herod, who was ruling over the Jews at that time, made some horrible choices. 
and as a result, got himself in the crosshairs of John the Baptist. And the family of Herod is um, wild. Like, the worst episode of Jerry Springer you could ever imagine. Kind of the worst. And here's what got, here's what got John put in prison. Because he's preaching against what Herod has done. Here's what Herod did. Herod went to visit his half-brother, whose name is Philip. Philip is married to their half-sister's daughter. So Philip is married to his niece, kind of. So Herod is there visiting Philip, and he kind of takes a liking to Philip's niece wife, who is also Herod's niece, convinces her to leave Philip and to run away with him and marry him instead. So John called it out. He, John didn't subscribe to the you can love whoever you want to love and it's okay idea. He subscribed to this is what God says. God said it. People you say God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It doesn't really matter if you believe it or not. God said it, that settles it. Amen, right? So John just said this is how it is. And that didn't go over well. It made the news. And so Herod's niece wife gets angry about that. And she has Herod throw John in prison. And he gets executed somewhere between Matthew chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 14. What's happening in Matthew chapter 14 where we are today is Herod's kind of having a flashback. He's hearing about all the things that Jesus is doing and his guilty conscience is getting to him for cutting off John's head. And he's afraid that John the Baptist has come back in the form of Jesus. And so there's some paranoia that's setting in. Now, here's also something that's interesting. If you're, again, maybe you're a skeptic this morning. You're going, well, how could Matthew possibly have known what Herod was thinking? Isn't that just speculative in the Bible? Well, this is interesting one of the people who was in Jesus' inner circle was actually married to somebody who was in Herod's inner circle. And I don't know if y'all know this, but husbands and wives talk every now and then. Now maybe you didn't know that there was somebody in Jesus' inner circle that was married to somebody in Herod's inner circle, but it's in the Bible. I'll show you Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 says, Soon afterwards he went, that's Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager. Now you've read that before. But you thought, that's not important. It is important. Because it helps us understand how Matthew would have known. Obviously, God could have told him without this knowledge. But Matthew probably spent time with Joanna, whose husband was the, the steward of the household for Herod. So he had inside information about what's going on in Herod's life. If anybody knew what was troubling Herod, it would have been his household manager, Cusa, who's married to Joanna, who's one of the lesser known followers in the inner circle of Jesus. Well, it took us a while to get to Matthew 14, but here we are. Here we go. Ready? Matthew 14. All that was to set up where we are. Matthew 14, verse 1. 
So at that time, Herod the Tetrarch, and Tetrarch just means he's not the king over the entire area. He's king over one of five areas. And he heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, one probably being Cusa, right? Joanna's husband. He says to them, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. That's what's happening in Matthew 14. Then John says, here's what happened between 11 and 14. Here's the backstory. Herod had seized John, bound him, and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. I think it's interesting that Matthew doesn't even refer to this lady as Herod's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry. But because of his oaths and his guest, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. I want you to see this. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Even for Jesus, this is a gut punch. He goes away to a desolate place all by himself. And I just want to say, I hate that my Lord knows what a gut punch feels like. But I also want to say, I am also glad and thankful that my Lord knows what a gut punch feels like. If you're doubled over today... Knocked breathless by some seemingly senseless tragedy. Jesus knows what that feels like. He knows what you're going through. Now knowing that Jesus knows what that feels like, that doesn't answer all the questions. It doesn't necessarily make it all better, but it does make it a whole lot less lonely. Right? That he knows. And the death of John the Baptist is senseless. It's senseless. Many of you have walked through things like that. They're just senseless. John, his death was senseless. And Herod knows that it was senseless. He didn't even want to kill John the Baptist. This is how stunningly senseless this is. It said in verse 9, he was sorry. You see that in verse 9? And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. This is how senseless it is. It's like Herod... In his mind is thinking the moral high ground here is to not break my oath. So i got to cut this guy's head off. That makes no sense whatsoever. And I think this is why Matthew and Mark and Luke are all told by God to put this in the Bible for us. Because whether you want to or not, whether I want to or not, it is good. That from time to time we sit with some difficult scripture in our lap. And that we allow it to get into our hearts and our minds and our lives because the reality is 
sooner or later, you're going to get gut punched too. Senseless tragedies and injustices will come to all of us at some point in time. I've been gut punched, and I know many of you have been too. I know you have. Because a lot of times when you're gut punched, eventually my phone rings. I can tell somebody's been gut punched before they say a word. I can hear it in their voice. You can see it in their face. You can feel it in their energy or the lack thereof that this person has just taken a shot. My dad called me this week. He got one word out. Hey, and I knew something has happened. Gut punch. I could hear it in him. He had just gotten some scary news about his sister. That news has gotten better throughout the week. But in that moment, it was a gut punch. Gut punches are unmistakable. Gut punches are unfakeable. The old fake it till you make it doesn't apply to this kind of pain. You can't fake it. They leave you shaken and dazed and weak and confused and hurting. And I mean hurting, hurting, deep within kind of hurting. I don't know how many Times across these 20 years, I've had people look at me with tears in their eyes and rolling down their face with that question, why? Why has this happened? And my answer is always the same. I, I don't know. Why did God allow this to happen? I don't know. Why did God allow this to happen to John the Baptist? I don't know. Because if anybody deserved a pass on gut punches, it was him. If anybody deserved to be rewarded from Almighty God. It's John the Baptist, and yet it looks like Jesus left him in a prison filled with doubt only to go on and later be decapitated. I don't know why. The older I get, I think one of the most important things that the Lord's trying to teach me is that it's just okay to not know why. It's okay to not know those answers. In fact, I think it's even okay to ask why. If it's a sin to ask why, then Jesus sinned because on the cross he said, my God, my God, why? And I know he didn't sin. So I think it's okay that we ask why. But answers don't usually come. The better question, and this is where we're going to look today, is how do we hold on to hope and to confidence and trust in the Lord when senseless tragedies come our way? How do we face it? How do we deal with it? How do we process it? How do we not let our faith crumble beneath our feet when gut punches come to our lives? How do we hold on to the truth and how do we hold on to Jesus when Senseless tragedies leave us doubled over in pain and unable to breathe. How do we press on in our trust in God when it feels like evil is winning and good is losing? I hate that feeling that evil is winning. Don't you? I remember... One of the first and the most clear times that I ever experienced that, it was on a Sunday. Different from this one, it was a beautiful Sunday. Pretty and sunny and 
not long after church had ended, I was the youth pastor here at that time, and I got the call that one of the girls in our youth group had just been not far from her home, ejected from her automobile. I drove to the scene as fast as I could. I got there just before her dad got there. I could literally feel the demons rejoicing in that moment. You may think that's weird and crazy. You can think what you want. It, it was awful. I went with him up the road to tell her mom. It'll always be one of the worst hours of my whole life. They, they left me with her little sister who was sleeping on the couch, and I was just begging God to not let that little girl wake up and wonder why Pastor Joel was in the living room. The last couple of decades of my life have had way too many moments like that one. It's the hardest thing in the world to be in a place like that where people are taking gut punches, senseless, doesn't make any sense at all. The worst place to be where it just feels like righteousness is lost and evil has won the day. I hate it. It's dark. It's dreadful. First my blood boils, and then my heart breaks every single time. And I know most of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you, you've been there. Some of you may be there right now in this moment. And not to be the bearer of bad news, but you could be headed there. And you don't know that. And God could be using Matthew 14 today to prepare your heart for what you don't know may be coming. So here's some helpful truth for us this morning. It's real simple. Jesus knows how you feel. He knows. When he went to that desolate place after hearing what had happened to his friend, John the Baptist, I just can believe that his blood was probably boiling too. And then his heart probably broke into a billion pieces. All alone. So I thought today would be a good day if we just together could just sit with Jesus in that verse. He is alone in that desolate place, gut-punched by this senseless tragedy of his friend's gruesome and cruel and undeserved and unjust death. And I just want to invite you to join me in sitting with Jesus and his grief this morning. Because how many times has he sat with me in mine? How many times has he sat with you in yours? So let's sit with Jesus in his grief this morning and let him teach us what he would have us to know here today. What does he do when that pain is so deep? What does he do? How does he deal with it? What can we learn from him? So here's what we want to ask this morning. Ready? What can we learn from Jesus? What can we learn from Jesus about how to deal with deep pain and loss? What can we learn from Jesus about gut punches, 
in our life. Unfortunately, here we don't have any details of what he did in Matthew 14, except that he withdrew away from everybody else so he could be alone with God. And that's going to be our first takeaway. How do we deal with deep pain and loss? Number one, write it down. Hide with the Lord, not from the Lord. Hide with the Lord, not from the Lord. When we get that gut, gut punch, man, it's tempting to isolate ourselves from everybody else, including the Lord himself. Sometimes we might hide ourselves in busyness. Sometimes we might hide ourselves away in, 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 in denial. Sometimes we might hide ourselves away in isolation or in self-medication. But Jesus didn't do any of that. In his grief and pain, he didn't hide from his father. He hid with his father. He got alone just to be with him. He got away from everything and everybody else. Precisely so, he could be with his father. Now, we don't have any other details in Matthew 14 of what he did in that desolate place. But we do know from another moment of deep sorrow in Jesus' life when he also withdrew to a desolate place, what he did in that place. So I want us to go there for some more takeaways about what, what do we learn from how Jesus deals with gut punches. So we go to Matthew 26. We fast forward 12 chapters. He's already in 14. We know he hid with the Lord, not from him. And then Matthew 26, verse 36 Matthew says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. You stay there, I'm going over here, I'm going to be alone, I'm praying. And talking with him, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. Even to death. Broken voice. Gasping to breathe with the heaviness of his heart. This is what he says. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Now I know you've hurt before and so have I. But none of us have ever hurt like that. None of us have ever experienced a sorrow of that magnitude of that depth. He's not to that point of sorrow because of what he's anticipating physically. He's at this place of sorrow because he's about to ex experience something spiritually that he never has before. And something that you and I never have, nor ever will, praise God. Precisely because of Jesus, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you won't ever have to experience what he's about to experience in this moment. You say, what is he about to experience other than the physical part? For all of eternity, he's been one with all the members of the Trinity. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. But in this moment, he knows that he is hours away from being hung on a cross. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. And he knows that in that moment, his father, for the first time in all of eternity, is going to break fellowship with him. His face will be turned away, and he will feel that in the depths of his soul, and he will cry out from the cross, why did you leave me? 
I'm telling you, thanks be to God, you and I in Christ will never know the pain that he's feeling in this moment. He's not scared of nails and whips and crowns of thorns. Now, that's not going to be pleasant, but that is nothing compared to what he's about to experience in his relationship with his father. There's been many times in my life it felt like God left me, but he didn't. There's been times in your life it felt like God left you, but he didn't. For Jesus, this is not going to be a feeling. This is going to be real. And he knows it's real. He's taken the mother of all gut punches in this moment. But what's he doing? He's showing us how to deal with gut punches too. Hide away with God, not from God. Number two, humble yourself. Humble yourself before God. Our inclination is going to be to bow up and to be arrogant and entitled and prideful. And this is not right and I don't deserve this. But Jesus shows us that we ought to humble ourselves before God. Look at verse 39 of Matthew 26. And going a little farther, he fell on his face. He fell on his face and he prayed. Listen, if Jesus, if Jesus felt the need to humble himself before his Father and to get on his face before his Father, how much more so should you and I humble ourselves before the Lord? The rescue that we need. From whatever it is that's crushing us is not found in us. It's not found in our friends. It's not found in this world. The rescue that we need for what is crushing our souls is in heaven, on the throne of heaven. And we ought to get on our face before the Lord. We would be wise to do that and confess to him, this is bigger than me. I can't do this. I need you. God, you're the only one big enough for this. You're great and you're mighty and I'm weak and I'm unworthy. I don't know how much you know about the story of Job, but, but I believe this to be true about the story of Job. I believe Job unnecessarily stayed in the depths of the darkness of his sorrow longer than he had to. Not minimizing what he went through. But as the story of Job continues to unfold, what we begin to realize is, it, it might not be glaring in his life, but Job had a fair amount of pride in his heart. Before the Lord. That just kept him from humbling himself. Being on his face before the Lord. Finally, if you're familiar with the story of Job, when you get to the end of the story of Job, God has to get in Job's face. Because Job wouldn't get on his. There's a lesson there for us. God loves you enough that if you won't get on your face before him, he will eventually get in your face. It's a good thing to get before the Lord in your pain and your suffering and say, God, I have nowhere to turn but you. Nowhere to look but you. Well, what do we do when we've been gut punched? We do what Jesus did. Number one, hide with God, not from God. Two, humble yourself before God. Three, be honest with God. Be honest. Look at verse 39, Matthew 26. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If we could just not do this, let's not do this. Let's be an honest. That's honest. 
Father, I don't want to be here. I don't want to, I don't want to walk this out. I, I don't want to do this. Isn't there a different way? Listen, I want to encourage you this morning. In your pain, you can and you should be honest with God. Proverbs says what he wants from us is he wants truth in our inmost being. He's not impressed with our religious showmanship. The one thing that's probably changed in my relationship with God over the years more than anything else is just being more honest with him. I privately pray prayers sometimes that I could never pray with this microphone in front of y'all. Because if you heard me pray some of the prayers that I prayed, you would fire me. Because you don't invite that kind of honesty. But he does. And I'm learning to give it. And he hasn't fired me. And he hasn't forsaken me. I think he's so good, he's not even gotten frustrated with me. He's the only one that would not have been. But I don't think he has. In fact, the more honest I find that I am with him, the more strong his embrace seems to be on me. If you want to hear some honest prayers, by the way, read the Psalms. You would have fired David for praying those prayers behind this pulpit. But God didn't fire David for that. In fact, he said about David, this is a guy after my own heart. Filled with flaws, filled with all kinds of emotion. That old visceral nature that David had just kind of messed him up a lot. But God said, that's, that's the guy that's after my heart. So the only way you're going to get to the heart of God is to walk that path of honesty and authenticity with the Lord. So what's God teaching us here? What do we do when we've been gut punched? We do what Jesus did. We hide with God, not from God. We humble ourselves before God. We be honest with God. Number four, put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. When we get to Mark, Mark gives us another clue what Jesus is doing in the garden that night. Mark chapter 14, verse 35. You don't have to turn there. I know you're struggling in Matthew right now. Mark 14, 35 says, And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And then he said this, Abba, Father. He still knew. This is my Abba. This is my Father. And then he said, All things are possible for you. Listen, Jesus might have been in a moment that he was questioning the plan, but he never questioned the power. He might have questioned the plan of God, but he never questioned the power of God. His hope was still in the God that he knew could do anything. All things are possible, he said, for you. That is an expression of hope in the Lord in the middle of being gut-punched. That the only breath he could draw into his lungs came out saying, you can do anything. That's hoping, audaciously hoping in the Lord against all odds. He's saying, I got nothing left. I don't want to walk this path. But I'm going to. Because there's nothing you can't do. I got nothing left, he says, when it comes to finding anything for me to hope in. That, that ship has sailed. It's all gone. 
So God, all of my hope, as puny and as weak as my hope might be right now, all of it is on you. Because I still know who you are. And I know that there's nothing that you can't do. Hope in the Lord. That will sustain you on that painful path that God may place you on. So what do we do when we've been gut punched? We do what Jesus did. We hide with God, not from God. Humble yourself before God. Be honest with God. Put your hope in God. Number five. In your hurt and in your pain, you're there to do this, to help others to God. To help others get to God. See, in that garden that night, Jesus made the decision to walk that difficult path. Tyler, do you know why? One, because it was the Father's will. But two, to get you to the Father. To get me and you and us to God. He suffered under God's wrath so that you and I could find security in God's embrace. Forgiveness for our sin. Salvation for our souls. And when we are in deep hurt and deep pain, just like Jesus, let me let you know something this morning. You're not there in that moment just for you. You're also there in that moment for somebody else. You may not know yet who that somebody else is. God may not have even brought them into your life just yet. But you're in that moment for the good of somebody else. The Bible tells us that just like Jesus was there for our good, you and I are going to go through difficult things in our life for the good of others, for the benefit of other people. Listen, God does not waste your pain. He will not waste your hurt. One of my favorite places in Scripture is where Jesus feeds the multitude. You'll see one of those instances, Lord willing, next Sunday. Happier Sunday. Jesus feeds everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's like Baptist Sunday next Sunday. We'll be here for that one. It'll be sunshiny. And they feed the multitudes. Then Jesus gave each disciple a basket. He said, now go pick up the broken pieces. I love that. Just a subtle reminder that God doesn't waste the broken pieces. Your gut punch isn't for nothing. Because you've experienced that or you are experiencing that, God is positioning you to be a friend to somebody one day, just like Jesus has been to you in the midst of your gut punch. You'll be able to say to that friend one day, I sort of know how this feels. I think I know how to pray for you. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all, what does it say? Comfort. Who comforts us in our affliction, watch this, so that, He comforts us in our affliction so that, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He just said, Jeff, you're going to go through some stuff, man, and I'm going to give you comfort. I won't give you all the answers, won't fix everything, but I'm going to give you comfort. And then one day down the road, somebody else is going to be hurting, and you're going to be able to offer them the same comfort that I gave you. 
y'all know I'm a youth pastor at heart. I just pastor this church as my side hustle. My heart's really in student ministry. Several years ago, Silas George, I don't know where he is right now, but his dad passed away in his sleep. We were in the same grade, went to elementary school together. That was a gut punch, man. Got pulled over by a state trooper. I won't tell you how fast I was going. But I had to get from Tuscaloosa to Lakeview as fast as I could. Fast forward a couple years, Levi joins our group. Levi's dad passed away unexpectedly last year. Levi's new to our group. One Wednesday night, I talk about difficult things we go through. I welcomed Levi to our group, kind of gave the students a little insight to where our brother was walking. Youth group finished up that night. Everybody started leaving. And I hear, I look back, ping pong ball, back and forth. You want to guess what two boys are playing ping pong? Silas and Levi. Nobody could play ping pong with Levi that night, like Silas. And nobody could play ping pong with Silas that night, like Levi. And the youth pastor in me wishes we had about 500 ping pong tables in the sanctuary this morning, just so I could see who God would pair up in this room. That somebody would say, I know. I know too. God's good. He won't leave you. I know. He's faithful. He's good. I just wish this room was filled with ping pong tables because I think there's people in this room this morning that would just match up. You think you're all alone. That is a lie of the pit of hell. You ain't. You think you're the only one that's got that hurt, that pain, that struggle. That's a lie. You're not. I would bet my life somebody in this room gets it. At the very least, I know there is one outside of this room. No, that's wrong. He is also in this room. And he gets it too. Let's pray. God. Thank you for putting the hard stuff in the Bible. We need it. So God, I pray this morning for those who are in the middle of a gut punch. That they would Find comfort from you today. Hope in you today. God, I pray that we this morning would, like Silas and Levi, be drawn to those 
that we've gathered to worship with this morning that just may need a friend, a hand on the shoulder, somebody to pray with them and tell them it's going to be okay. With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, I'm not really sure how I want to facilitate this. Here, let's do this. There's some percentage of you that are in this room this morning. You're in the middle of a gut punch. You're smack dab in the middle of it. You're, you even surprise yourself that you made it here today. But here you are in the middle of a gut punch. If you're in the middle of a gut punch right now in this moment, Could you breathe just enough to stand to your feet with heads bowed and with eyes closed? You just stand before the Lord and you say, it's me. I, I'm in the middle of it. Jesus knows what gut punches feel like. And he's right there with you. If you know what a gut punch feels like, would you just lift your head and find somebody that's standing up? Just put your eyes on them. You may know them, you may not know them. That's okay. Just pray for them right now. And we're just going to go before the Lord. We're just going to seeing we're just going to pray we're just going to slow things down in this room and i want to say that we just want to use this time that if there's somebody here this morning that you just want to go and pray with maybe maybe somebody you don't even know you just want to go say hey, I've, I've seen you i just want to say hi and this is who i am i don't think we're here by accident all right the altar's here there's steps on both sides those are a good place to call an altar and just come and pray and let's just sit before the Lord. He's sitting with us in our grief and our sorrow, our hurt and our pain. Nobody's alone in this room today. Not physically, not spiritually. I promise you that. 